Hello, welcome to my podcast. The Mongols, Chinese Emperors. This is episode three, Final Conquest. In the last episode, we learned about the expansion of the Mongol Empire. I introduced you to some of the more important Mongolians, Ogadai Khan, Guyak Khan, Monkey Khan, Kublai Khan, and the military commander Subutai Bador. We also learned that the Tangut, or Shi Xia Empire, and the Jin Dynasty fell to the Mongols. In this episode, I want to spend some time talking about Kublai Khan and why he is important. Then I want to talk further on the preparations that were necessary for the Mongols to begin their final conquest of Sung China. Finally, we learn about the fall of the Sung dynasty to Kublai and the Mongols. I want to spend some time discussing Kublai Khan. He's been referred to also as Kublai Khan. He was an important figure in the Mongolian story at that time. After all, he was one of the grandsons of Genghis Khan. But more importantly, he deserves discussion. The discussion about him will put some historical context on some of the events and people I have already talked about, as well as those yet to come. As far as it is known, he was born, presumably in Mongolia, in the year 1215. That was the same year that his grandfather, Genghis Khan, had seized Beijing from the Jin dynasty. There is little in his early life, other than he was born to royalty, to suggest he would become the powerful figure he became. He lived most of his early life south of the Gobi Desert, outside of Mongolia, in what is now called Inner Mongolia. He was basically a homebody. He lived in luxury. He was not then, nor would he ever be, the dynamic military leader his brothers and his uncle, Ogodai Khan, had become. But his brother, Monkey Khan, assured that he would have some significant role in Mongolian affairs. In the year 1252, his brother, Monkey Khan, gave Kublai his first major task in preparation to invade the Chinese Sung dynasty. Kublai was to lead an expeditionary force on the western border of Sung, China, 
specifically to the independent kingdom of Tali, also called Bali, that was located in what is today Yunnan Province, China. The Tali were independent but considered a vassal state to the Sung dynasty. Kublai's task or goal was to take control of this region so it could be used as a base to attack the Song. In a marvelously planned and executed campaign, Kublai led a multi-prong attack into the Tali kingdom. And he took no chances. The preparation that he oversaw in this campaign, I think, perfectly demonstrates the kind of person Kublai was and or had become. He made sure his troops were well-trained, that he had plenty of them, and they were well-supplied. He even went further and placed Subutai, Badur's son, as the commander of the expedition. Kublai knew the presence of his son assured that the troops would be inspired and their enemies terrified. The Tali quickly surrendered and his king executed. Kublai's first military expedition was a triumph. He had executed his brother Monkey's plan as designed. The victory gave both Monkey Khan and Kublai what we now call today street cred. It was vastly important to garner respect and to show that you had the right to rule. Sometime before Kublai's Tali campaign, his brother, Monkey Khan, had given to him an appanage comprising much of northern China, including parts of Inner Mongolia. After the Tali campaign, Kublai returned and focused on governing his territory. He also concentrated on building an enormous, elaborate estate. He located it in Inner Mongolia, just north of the Luan River. It became the Mongols' summer capital or palace. It was called Shangdu. It was roughly a 10 days journey, or about 225 miles, more or less north of Beijing. It became famous by Marco Polo and in Sam Coleridge's poem, Xanadu. Many in Mongolia, however, resented the extravagance and began to think of Kublai as less Mongolian. Shangdu became the dual capital of the Mongol-ruled Chinese dynasty. The other capital was Beijing. Shangdu should not be confused with the Summer Palace located very near Beijing and known as Chengda. The Ming dynasty 
would later destroy Shandu. Today, it is a ruin. Kublai essentially became emperor of that region, and he adopted the emperor name Zhongtong. Many have averred that he put too much trust in Chinese officials. However, there are also other scholars that have offered that Kublai may have put too much trust in Chinese officials early on, but that trust deteriorated over time, and that Kublai actually was far more open-minded and diverse with the people he associated with. About the same time, Monkey Khan gave Kublai a new mission to conquest the Sung in China. I will get to the Sung invasion, but for now, I want to continue with my discussion of Kublai. Barely into the latest Sung mission, Monkey Khan died. I already touched a little on the succession war his death caused. All the Mongol operations were halted until the succession issue was resolved. The struggle for the throne came down to two brothers, Kublai and Arik. Kublai seized the throne of the great Khan over his brothers, Arik's opposition. Arik was in Mongolia, but Kublai had the better economic and geographic conditions that he used against his brother. After years of war between the two brothers, Arik died in the year 1266. The fight between the two brothers, however, divided forever the kingdom of Genghis Khan. We know the Mongols' plan to conquer Sung China took serious form in the early 1250s. By the mid-1250s, the Mongols had stepped up the frequency and intensity of the border conflicts with the Sung. Part of the reason for this intensity was a PSYOP campaign to soften up Sung resistance and encourage Sung officials, Sung officials to switch sides. By the year 1258, Monkey Khan led his forces into China. Troop estimates vary, but it is believed he had somewhere near 600,000, and that seems believable. Add to that another 90,000 his brother Kublai had. The Mongols initially attacked the Sung from the north and the west. And there was a particular reason for that. The economic and population strength of the Sung dynasty was in the east, particularly along the seacoast. The Mongol strategy was to quickly subjugate the north and west regions and scare the Sung emperor into concessions or surrender. The Sung conquest, however, was not without several concerns by the Mongol military commanders. The major or strategic Sun areas and cities were all well defended and fortified. 
the Sung military force was alleged to have up to one and a half million troops. And they were well-trained, well-commanded, and well-equipped. Also, the Sung climate and the terrain was troubling. The heat, humidity, mosquitoes, and dysentery were worrisome and posed a serious threat. The Mongol commanders also knew that in order to defeat the Sung would require them learning and masterfully deploying new military and naval feats, especially sea warfare. The conquest would be enormously expensive, long, and large. Despite these concerns, the Mongols would not be denied. The Mongols, early on, racked up considerable victories. By early 1258, the Mongols had captured Chengdu, the capital of Sichuan province. Kublai reached Kaiping, near Hong Kong, in the spring of the year 1260. The Song were nearly defeated, but Monkey Khan died during these operations in Sung, China. And that stalled all Mongol campaigns. The Sung got a reprieve, at least temporarily. Kublai Khan was not about to sit still and enjoy his trappings of empire. He would attempt to finish what his Mongolian predecessors had so earnestly sought to achieve, conquest. Now that he was Khan of at least northern China, he would push for territorial expansion. One of the reasons he wanted to expand his empire had to do with his legacy and legitimacy. As a Khan, your legacy and your success was measured on your ability to subjugate other peoples. You had to prove you were worthy of being a Khan. Much of it also had to do with wanting to prove himself to the other Mongols. Remember, he had fought a bitter fight with his brother over which one of them were worthy of the Khanate. But there were also practical reasons to attack the Sung. There were considerations of security, and that weighed heavy on Kublai's mind. The Sung had never conceded and never forgot and never ceased their efforts to retake northern China that they had lost a long time before to the Jin. The Sung were going to be a consistent threat to Kublai's kingdom. Kublai was also attracted to the Sung dynasty because of its wealth. It had a lively international seaborne trade around the world through its large seaports at Canton and Guangzhou. Early in the year of 1260, Kublai sought a peaceful arrangement with the Sung Emperor. Basically, the arrangement was that the Sung submit to Mongol dominance and in return, 
the Mongols would offer the Sung protection. But the Sung showed no interest in that. Instead, the Sung harassed the Mongol peace envoys. So, armed conflict was inevitable. And war began in earnest between the two in the year 1268 and lasted until 1279. I am not going to get into too much detail over that 11-year period of struggle. But I do want to briefly mention a few key events in that long struggle. The siege of Xianyang began in 1268. Xianyang was in Hubei province near Wuhan. Xianyang and Xianfan or Fangcheng, were twin cities astride the Han River, the longest tributary into the Yangtze River, and was a key area to control in the Song Dynasty. The Battle of Xianyang was the largest campaign in the Song invasion, and that area was virtually impregnable and to capture it would require naval and siege assets and strategies. The area had already withstood Kublai's initial assault on it. To turn the tide in his favor, Kublai assembled an international retinue of military specialists and commanders. But both sides showed great ingenuity in prosecuting their respective sides. What finally turned the siege in favor of the Mongols was the use of the trebuchet. Interestingly, early versions of the trebuchet had come from China centuries earlier. The West somehow acquired the technology and improved it. The trebuchet returned again to China during the Xianyang siege, and they improved it again and deployed it on the fortifications at Xianyang. The the innovated trebuchets were the breakthrough in the long siege. In the year 1273, Xianyang fell, ending the longest military siege in Chinese history. Kublai then turned the trebuchets on the Sung capital of Hangzhou, in the year 1275. By early 1276, Hangzhou fell to the Mongols and the Sung Emperor conceded. But that was not the end of the conquest. Many of the Sung loyalists fled south and tried to regroup. But the Mongols were relentless and kept pushing further south. Finally, Kublai had the remaining Sung trapped off the Liu Chao Peninsula on the Nanzhou Dao or Nanzhou Island, which is located at the extreme southeast tip of China in Guangdong province. The Mongols blockaded the island by land and sea, and it finally came to an end when the Sung loyalists drowned trying to flee.
In the year 1279, the Song were finished. Kublai immediately invoked Mongol rule over all of China and set out to unify China. Kublai wanted to unite North and South, curry favor with Chinese elites, and give them a chance to approve of the new Mongol rulers. Kublai now set out to create a Mongol dynasty over China. In the next episode, Kublai Khan creates the Yuan dynasty and unifies China while maintaining the Khanate over the vast Mongolian Empire. And I will talk about this dynasty and the Khanate. I will end the next episode with his death and a review of his life. Thank you. It has been my pleasure.